Will you please turn in your Bibles tonight to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. And I want to commence to read at verse 45. Matthew 27, verse 45. And we will read down to the end of verse 54. So it's Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27 beginning to read at verse 45. Let us now hear the word of God. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done they feared greatly saying truly this was the son of God may God bless his word to all of our hearts for Christ's sake amen the day of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ was the greatest day in the history of the world. For on that day, the great work of redemption was accomplished. On that day, the dear Son of God shed his precious blood to save his people from their sins. And in these verses before us in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew provides some details of the events that took place on that memorable day. And it was a memorable day when God's dear Son gave his life as a ransom to save his people from their sins. And I want to pick up on some of those events that Matthew records for our information as once again we visit the scene of the cross, as once again we come to behold the Lamb. Isn't it very fitting? I never thought about it when I picked that 58th hymn that it should close with the words, Behold the Lamb. So on this memorable day in history, this greatest event in the history of the world, let us tonight behold the Lamb. I have three very simple things that I want to share with you tonight from what Matthew provides by way of information about this momentous event. First of all, there is 
a word about the vinegar. Now you may be saying to me, what has vinegar got to do with the death of Christ? What has vinegar got to do with the Lord Jesus Christ being crucified on Calvary's cross? If you bear with me a wee minute, I will tell you what vinegar has got to do with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 48, we're told, they took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and gave him to drink. So Christ is on the cross. He's suffering for the sins of his people. He's thirsty. And they took a sponge and they filled it with vinegar and gave him to drink. Now, did you know that the Lord Jesus Christ was actually offered wine or vinegar twice when he hung there on the cross of Calvary. The first time is back there in verse 34 where we read these words. They gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall and when he had tasted thereof he would not drink. Now in the Bible, I'm sure as most of you will be aware, gall most often refers to something that's bitter tasting a bitter tasting substance made of a plant such as wormwood or myrrh. Mark's account of this particular incident that's been dealt with here in Mark chapter 15, verse 23, puts it this way, they gave him wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. Now myrrh was used for a variety of purposes. It was used in the Song of Solomon, as a perfume. It was also used as an anesthetic. And it was also used to prepare bodies for embalming, for, for burial, that is. As an ingredient for the anointing oil that we read of in the book of Exodus chapter 30. It was also used to scent uh, garments. Uh, today, we have our different perfumes that we adorn the bodies with to send off that, that lovely smelling odor kind of thing. And in those times, they perfumed their clothes and they perfumed their beds. Well, they would have used this kind of thing. It was also added to uh, oil for massages and for body lotions. And the bitterness in this particular drink was due to the myrrh. Now, having tasted this concoction, the Lord Jesus Christ refused to drink it. Now, you may say, if he's thirsty, why did he refuse this particular drink? Well, I'll tell you why. Now, according to tradition, it was customary uh, for respected and maybe wealthy woman of Jerusalem to provide a narcotic drink to those about to be crucified in order to help ease their suffering and their pain because they were suffering excruciating pain at this time. So out of the kindness of their hearts, they provided this narcotic to help relieve these men as they came to die. It was really a stupefying drink given to criminals to deaden the sense of pain. And the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, he was no criminal. I've got to make that abundantly clear. He was offered this mixture, but when he realized what it was, obviously he had tasted it. When he realized what it was, he declined. He said, no, he refused it, choosing to endure with full consciousness the sufferings appointed him. He was the perfect sacrifice, you see, suffering at the hand of a holy sin, hating God for our sins. 
and he would suffer with a clear mind. He would suffer with a clear mind and a pure heart. He did not want his faculties to be deadened at all, so he refused this narcotic. So the first drink was offered to ease the pain. He wanted to be in control of the whole situation. He wanted to be in control of his faculties. He was the perfect substitute doing God's required will. Now, isn't it very interesting that mirror symbolizes bitterness, suffering, and affliction, and is associated, first of all, with the birth of Christ. And now it's associated with the death of Christ. The wise men, when they came from the east, three wise men? No. We don't know how many. We know that they brought three different kinds of gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They brought this to the child when he was in the house. And I think that was indicative of what he would eventually suffer as he grew into that perfect man, the God-man, to go all the way to suffer the cruelties of the cross when he went to Calvary to die as our substitute to put away our sins. What a wonderful saviour. The baby Jesus would grow to suffer greatly as a man and would pay the ultimate price when he gave his life on the cross for sinners. He was born to die. He was born to save his people from their sins. The purpose he came, the reason he came. Think about that matchless love that brought him down from heaven's glory, the place of pure delight. Brought him down from the splendors of heaven to live as that perfect man among men, hearing awful things, terrible things, seeing the sins of men and women, to go to the, suffer the cruelties of the cross to save his people from their sin. You're a child of God tonight, rejoice in this. We have a wonderful Savior who loved us eternally. He was laid in the manger at his birth and they nailed him to a cross at his death. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord. Then we come to the second drink that was offered to him in Matthew 27 verse 48. Also, you can link this in with Mark chapter 15 verse 35. Now, as death approached according to John, we've got to read the four Gospels together. As death approached, he's agonizing, he's suffering, he's going through a lot. We don't know half of what he's going through and suffering at the hand of God. Yes, there was the physical sufferings, but I think the most intense suffering was in his soul and his spirit. And John tells us in John 19, 28, Jesus cried, I thirst. And the Bible tells us in John 19, verse 30, and there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled the sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth, listened to it, and he drank it. Not at all. The Bible says in verse 30, he received it not. So why did he take one drink, and why did he refuse the other drink? This was really sour wine vinegar. This was the uh, kind of thing that was in Old Testament times and in New Testament times looked upon as a refreshing drink. For, for example, in, for, in Ruth chapter 2, verse 14, remember Ruth, she's out in the barley field. It's the harvest time. It's hot work there. 
And she was invited by the reapers to come and to dip, dip your morsel of bread in the wine. There it is, the vinegar, the wine. And according to uh, the, the tradition, that relieved thirst more effectively than water. It was inexpensive. And it was a cheap sour wine. And this was the, the, the drink that the soldiers would have brought from the barracks to this particular scene. Remember, Christ is crucified in the morning time. He's there at 12 noon. He's there until 3 p.m. in the afternoon. It's thirsty work for those men to be involved in such a horrific thing. So they would have set that vessel down and from time to time they'd have gone there with a cup or whatever way they drew the wine from the vessel and they refreshed themselves. It was suited them. It was cheap. Inexpensive. As death approached, they offered him a sip that was put to his lips. And I, I think the picture in my mind is on, on this bunch of hyssop now, and the, the sponge, they'd have put it to his lips, and we can see Christ like sucking it. You know, his, his throat is dry and his lips are parched. And he's suffering, agony. And he would welcome this, you see. And so they put the sponge to his lips. And you can see the dear Son of God, the, the, the creator of the oceans of the earth, sucking from a sponge to get relief, to dampen his parched lips and his dry throat. He's suffering. Now, in doing so, he's fulfilling prophecy. Over there in the book of Psalms 22, this is what he said. They gave me gold for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Even in this little detail, the eternal Son of God is fulfilling the prophetic word. God had it arranged this to be the way it was. Right down to the very drink they gave to Jesus Christ. The drink he would receive and the drink he would refuse. God had it planned. Every little minute detail is planned by God in your life and in my life as well. He refused this second wine. What a wonderful saviour. He refused this particular wine. This vinegar. And John tells us in John 19, 29, that they filled the sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Have you heard tell of hyssop before? Oh, you've been at Sunday school down through the years. You can you go back to Exodus chapter 12 and so on. And you can read the story of the first Passover. This is the, the last Passover that God accepts and Christ is the lamb at this final Passover that God accepts. And there we have again the, the hyssop being brought to the fore. Remember, take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood. And so you can see these soldiers and they're taking that sponge, they're taking the hyssop, they're dipping it in the vinegar, in the blood. Do we not see a picture of this? When the Israelites marked their doorposts with the lamb's blood, it was to let the angels know to bypass pass over this particular home because the people in this home are depending upon the blood of the sacrifice. There will be peace for those within. Judgment for those without, but peace will be within. 
in the hearts of those trusting in the atoning sacrifice pointing us to the blood of Christ who died as our substitute on Calvary's cross. It signified God was marking his people as being pure, not targets of judgment. Remember what David said in Psalm 51, verse 7, after his sin, he said, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean, wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. He was asking God to cleanse him spiritually. And it is very possible that God meant this as a, a picture of purification as Jesus bought forgiveness with a sacrifice. He died and he shed his blood to purchase purification for his people through the atoning sacrifice, through the blood of the Lamb. What about that child of God? What about the sacrifice? What about what you owe to him? He made us whiter than snow. There's a word about the vinegar. Now do you see why I'm talking about vinegar? What, it, how it's associated with the sacrifice of Christ on this greatest day in the history of the world. The vinegar. Never forget the vinegar. But then there's something else. There's a word about the voice. In verse 50. Jesus when he had cried again with a loud voice. I think uh, in verse uh, 46, there's a loud voice also mentioned. And the word that is used there is megas. You've heard of a megastore. Uh, some of you have been to the States. You've heard tell of Walmart. You can go in there and get your hair cut. You can buy a shotgun in there if you want. You can get a battery for your car. Uh, you can get this and that and the other thing. It's a megastore. Sure, from time to time you see signs, megastore. That's the word that's used here, something big. It, it's used in the Bible, the big fish or a big building or, or the large upper room. It's the word megas. Here his loud voice is associated with a tree. He's on the tree, you see. He's on the cross. And when he's on the cross... Those standing by can hear him. Oh, and he's using a loud voice. Now, there's another place in the Bible where we read about his loud voice. It's in John chapter 11, verse 43, at the grave of Lazarus. With a loud voice, he said, Lazarus, come forth. There is associated with the tomb, you see. So this loud voice, first of all, in the context of what we're reading and preaching about tonight, it's associated with a tree. In the context of John 11, it's associated with the tomb. There's got to be a reason for this. I think there is anyway. This is the way it came home to my heart. He associated, he triumphed over the tomb by his work on the tree. He removes the fear of death by his work on the tree. The grave is no longer a hold over us. It doesn't hold fear over us any longer because he triumphed over the tomb by his death on the cross and by his bodily resurrection. And we are in Christ and we've been raised to newness of life. And of course then there will be that literal resurrection at the last day. Have you got this hope in your heart tonight? Or will you be incarcerated in that place of eternal separation from God, cast away from his presence for eternity? But there's mercy with God. There's a Savior. First time that voice is heard 
in Scripture after his birth. You remember it. That's Luke chapter 2, verse 49. What did he say? Or where did he say it? His voice was heard in the temple. Mary and Joseph had traveled on. They left him behind. They had to begin a search for him. Where did they find him? Oh, they had to return to Jerusalem. Yes, we know that. But there was a specific place, we're told, where they found him. They found him in the temple. So the first time his voice is heard after his birth is in the temple. And the final time his voice is heard before his death. Please see that. That voice was heard on the tree. Do you see that? Luke is very specific where it happened in Luke 2. It happened in the temple in the midst of the doctors. Doctors from the city hospital? No. The term that is used here means teachers, not physical doctors. They were teachers. Luke, he was a physician, of course. He was a, a literal doctor. But the reference here is to the teacher. So he's found in the midst of the teachers in the temple. And when he utters this last uh, statement before his death on the cross, once again he's in the midst. In the midst of what? In the midst of who? He's in the midst of the thieves. I think this is very interesting, at least it was to me. I don't know if you're impressed with it or not, but I was. Still am. God makes no mistakes, you see. And both locations are associated with sacrifice. The, the temple was the place where the sacrifices were offered. And now Christ has offered himself as a sacrifice on the tree to atone for our sins. To deal with our sins, which he did effectively. Once and for all, forever. Hallelujah. Praise be the name of the Lord. There is a Savior from sin. And he can change your life and fit you for heaven. And take you home to glory. Having your sins forgiven. But it's interesting also what he said on those two different occasions. The first time, what did he say in Luke chapter 2? He said, I must be about my father's business. The final time, what did he say? Father, into thy hands... I commend my spirit. The first he spoke about the Father, the Father's business. And then the final time he spoke to the Father. And the point I wish to emphasize is this. From the very start to the finish, he sought to glorify the Father. What an example he has set for us as the people of God. And you'll notice what happened on this occasion when he cried with a loud voice. Matthew 27 verse 52 says, The graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples way back in John chapter 11 when they heard about the sickness of Lazarus. He sleeps. The Lord was referring to his death, of course. He wasn't having a, a, a long nap somewhere. He was dead, you see. That's the way Jesus used the term. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. He's dead. But, but I go to, to raise him from the dead. And when he stood there at the grave, what did they cry with a loud voice? He said, Lazarus, come forth, you see. Here's someone coming out of the grave. And, and that really was a foreshadowing of what would take place here in Matthew 27. And I'm glad that he used that term Lazarus because 
had he not been very specific, all those buried around that area would have come forth. But he is specific, he's in his cause. It's a specific call of grace. And the day that he, he called you, he called you by name, he called me by name. He whispered that uh, name in our ears and we came to Christ, very specific, effective, effectual. This same Jesus spoke to John on the Isle of Patmos. John 1, I think this verse 10, said that he heard a loud voice. And that one who spoke with a loud voice was the one who came and put his hand upon John in his tribulation and said, John, I'm here. I'm with you. John was an old man at this time, over 90, I suppose, or thereabouts. I can't say for sure, but he's an old man. He's suffering. He's on the Isle of Patmos, a rugged place used as a prison. Sometimes the prisoners had to sleep in the, in the open air, out in the rocks. What a way for an old preacher to uh, have to survive. But just at that very moment, the hand of the Lord, the one with the loud voice came and laid it upon him. Have you ever felt this low? Have you ever felt, oh, nobody cares for me? And then all of a sudden, you get the hand of the master upon your shoulder. I'm here. You don't have to go through this by yourself. I'm here. Hallelujah. I'm with you. I will not leave you. I'm the Lord thy God. I'm with you. So we've talked a little about the vinegar. We've talked about the voice. And then I've got to come to a close got to think about a word about the veil. This is V-Day. The vinegar, the voice, and the veil, D-Day, when Christ triumphed over the devil. We're told in verse 51, notice what it said, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Now, the temple, as you know, uh, was the center of Jewish uh, worship. It was where the animals were offered and sacrifices according to the law of Moses were, were, were offered. Uh, and Hebrews uh, 9 verses 1 through 9 tells us that the temple was separated into the, the, the covered part. The sanctuary proper was divided into two parts. The holy place where the priest ministered and then the holy of holies where the high priest on the day of atonement entered in with the incense and with the blood of the sacrifice, sprinkling the blood on and before the mercy seat. That, that speaks of, to us of Christ. And the regular priests speak about the priesthood of believers. We've got a ministry to, to feed upon the bread and to go to the golden altar to pray and to seek his face and to walk in the light as he's in the light. It's all there in the Old Testament. Only the high priest was permitted to pass beyond that veil once a year. Now, according to uh, the word of God, uh, that, that reminds us, by the way, before passing on, the Lord dwelt in the Holy of Holies, and then the priests and the people dwelt without. Man was separated from God by sin. And Christ went to the cross to bridge that gap. Now, according to the word of God. Solomon's temple was 30 cubits high. Uh, Herod increased it uh, to 40 cubits high, according to Josephus, the first century Jewish historian. Now, we're not exactly sure the measurement of the cubic. I, I think personally it was 18 inches. Some say it was 20 inches. But even if we're taking it 18 inches, we'll not fall out for a couple of inches. 
You understand what I'm saying here now? It's safe to assume that the veil was near 60 feet high. And Jewish tradition has it that the veil was actually four inches thick. Now, that is some veil. I don't know what it is up to there. I wouldn't even venture to suggest a figure or a number. But you, you think about it. It would have taken a lot of men to get that place, that veil put into place. 60 feet high, four inches thick. This was the very thing that separated man from God. And that speaks of Christ as well. And, and when he died on the cross, when the veil was rent, the veil of his flesh was rent, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, indicating that there was a way now, a new and living way opened up into the presence of God through Christ, who is our sacrifice. He's the one who brings us in to the presence of God. Now you think about the size of the veil and the thickness of the veil, and that makes the event that occurred at the moment Jesus died on the cross so much more momentous. At that very moment when he died, that huge veil was rent from the top to the bottom. It didn't begin from the bottom up. It didn't begin with Peter taking a sword and going in there to prove a point. No, it was rent from the top to the bottom, indicating that God did it. Who could have gotten away up there to begin with? From the top to the bottom, it was the work of God. And Christ went to the cross. The veil of the temple, the person of Christ, suffered, bled and died. And as that veil was rent, so Christ was being rent at the hand of God to make an atonement for our sins, to bring us nigh to God. Indicating that God had accepted the only sacrifice that he totally accepted. The other sacrifices all through church history pointed to this once and for all sacrifice for sin. And, and, and he abolished the ceremony law when Christ died. He fulfilled all of those things. And when he died, that was accomplished. No more veil. God had no longer any need for that old covenant uh, religion or system. The temple and Jerusalem were left desolate so, what, about 40 years after Christ. The Romans came in AD 7. He had no longer any need for this. Christ had abolished all of that. And the only way into the presence of God is through his sacrifice on the cross. As long as that temple stood, it signified the continuation of the old covenant. But we're living in new covenant times. And we draw nigh to God through precious blood through a human sacrifice. A sacrifice that never needed to be repeated. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. He died to put away your sins. And even now in the quietness of this morning tonight, you can experience cleansing from your sins. Without money, without price, you need to repent of your sins Turn from your sins. Believe in Christ as the only Savior for your soul. Look to him by faith alone. Receive him as your Savior. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe the promise of God and leave the house of God saved by grace. And washed in precious blood. If so, we'll meet you in the morning.
You'll be there with the loved ones who've gone on before, all those redeemed by precious blood. If you refuse, heaven you'll never see. But for a long, dark eternity, you'll be lost. You'll be damned. But there's mercy with God. Look to him by faith tonight. The work's all done. The work's finished. Look and believe, look and believe tonight. Trust in him alone. It doesn't matter what friends or neighbors or companions think about you or your decision. A thousand years from now, you'll still be in existence. Tormented soul in hell or redeemed soul in heaven. It matters to you. Don't forget the day of the cross when Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. We'll close in prayer. Father, we thank thee tonight for thy word. We thank thee for the scene that has been brought before us. Our hearts have been touched. We have been moved by the Spirit as we have contemplated for a little time something of what it cost thy son to purchase our redemption. We thought a little about what it cost thee to give thy son to redeem thy people from their sin. We thought about the fate that lies before those out of Christ and the bliss of those who have been saved by grace will share in that land that is fairer than day. As we leave the house of God, may we do so soberly in the fear of God. And if it please, they may we even take a few minutes longer in Rome private residences just to think over what has been said. And may we fall and bend at knee before the day's out to give God thanks for the greatest event in the history of the whole world, the day.